0: got a Bible, you can open up to John chapter 7. We're going to start there and eventually end up in John 9. Uh, Before I do get into the message this morning, let me just say welcome back to our Iowa mission team. Glad you guys were able to go on that trip, and I'm sure we'll hear some good stories. August 12th, Sunday night, August 12th, we're going to have a uh, report service about all our mission trips for the summer. Um, Mission trips and also mission activities that took place here, like Vacation Bible School, so be sure and uh, mark your calendars for that. It's always a great night. Hear of how God worked in our church. Um, at this time, I want to ask you to do me a favor. We're going to play a little game of pretend. All right? In My house, we you know, we play a lot of game, a lot of pretend when you're a kid. I want everybody to close your eyes. You got to play my game, okay? Everybody, close your eyes. I want you to imagine that this is all you've ever known. It's darkness. No sight. Imagine that. You probably would feel like you're isolated, separated, like everything's going on, but you don't have a clue. If this is all you knew was blindness, uh, you'd have no concept of shape other than what you feel, no concept of color. You'd never seen a sunrise, a sunset. You don't know what a smiling face looks like. Never seen a mountain range, never seen the ocean, never even seen the faces of the ones you love. Now open your eyes before you fall asleep. (laughs) It's hard to imagine that scenario, I know, because we've all seen it. We've all experienced sight. Those of us here who have sight know what it is to see those things, right? But that's exactly the situation of the man who Jesus comes across that we're going to study today in John chapter 9 in just a moment looking at a man, a man who Jesus healed, a man who Jesus gave sight to for the very first time. And from it, I want us to see uh, some principles for how we can walk with Jesus every day, how we can walk in step with Jesus every day. But before we get to John chapter 9, let's think about what's going on in, in the, the book of John at this point. John chapter 8, verse 12, this is what we read, John 8, 12. Let's go there first, actually. Jesus said this in John chapter 8, verse 12, very famous words, you might already know these words, and Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus use that illustration at this point in the story. Back at the beginning of John chapter 7, we find out that what's going on in that moment of time was what's called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a big feast, one of the major feast celebrations for the people of Israel. And during that feast, there were two major ceremonies that went on, one of which involved this very ceremonial pouring of water. Water would be drawn out of the pool of Siloam. Where the blind man later, we're gonna read about goats to wash. And they would take this water and they would pour it over the altar, which is likely the moment when Jesus stood up and said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. For out of me come streams of living water. And, and then later in that ceremony, they, they would have what they called the illumination of the temple. And there were these four giant torches that reached the very tops of the temple. All right, and and on this one particular day, the priests would go and they would light these torches. And then other priests would have these smaller torches, and many people would dance the night away in the court. And it was likely in that very moment that Jesus stood up and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but we'll have the light of life. The Israelites, during that little ceremony, were celebrating. They were remembering the pillar of fire that had led them in the Exodus. And Jesus was identifying himself with that pillar of fire and saying, I am the light. Now, not too long after that, what we find is Jesus gets in a debate, an argument with the Pharisees. He claims godhood. He says, I am the one. Before Abraham was, I am, which, of course not surprisingly, upsets the Pharisees. They pick up stones and begin to try to chase him out of the temple, which they do. And on his way out, we come to the beginning of John chapter 9, where Jesus comes across a blind man. And in that moment, he has the perfect opportunity to demonstrate what he's talking about when he says, I am the light of the world. John chapter 9, verse 1. It says, As he passed by... He saw, a blind, or he saw a man blind from birth. First principle I want us to see here for walking with Jesus is to keep your eyes open. Now, let's imagine you're with Jesus at this moment. Let's imagine you were one of his disciples or his followers, and you were there with him on that moment when he got chased out of the temple. What would you probably want to do? If it had been me, my initial reaction would be to cover my head up, to look down, and to try to get myself out of the temple because there are men with stones who want to kill me. And I think I would want to be unnoticed. I think I would want to slip out and not be seen. But not Jesus. Instead, we find that as on his way out, at some point after he's chased out of the temple, it's as he passes by and he takes notice of a man, a man who was blind from birth. This is a beggar, a man that was often overlooked, a man that others passed by every single day, a man who didn't even have the ability to see the people who were passing him by every day. And though he had an excuse as to why he could keep walking, you know, Jesus could have said, I need to get out of here, but instead he pauses to help this man. Now, we'll read in a moment that he actually does, in fact, restore this man's sight. But I want us to stop at this point in the story to think about this. How often do we pass by those in need and barely consider helping them? How often do we do that? How often in the midst of our busy schedules and the hustle and bustle of our lives of going here and there and doing everything that we want to get done in a day do we pass the guy or the woman who needs help, the, the person who needs prayer the hurting heart who needs comforting, the soul who needs Jesus I'll repeat a point that I've made before sometimes we live our lives as if we have our heads down as if we're constantly just looking at where we have to go and we forget there's a world of hurting people around us but Jesus seemed to see those people he was different than us he seemed to to he was always on the move, but he was always interruptible. His top priority wasn't getting to certain places, it was meeting the needs of people and caring for souls. And so he allowed his life to be interrupted by those hurting people, by those insignificant people, by those who would be labeled as the least of these. Back when we were on vacation this summer, um, on our last day of vacation, we had one of those... Um, at Disney, we have one of those like character breakfast things where you go and uh, your kids get to get autographs from Mickey Mouse and all of these things. And I was kind of wondering to myself, why uh, this doesn't sound exciting to me? Why is this exciting? And, of course, we get there, and my boys just go nuts. They think it's just the coolest thing ever for a six-and-a-half-year-old. This is a pretty big deal uh, to get to make, meet Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and Goofy and all these people. But, um, so we, get, we went to the breakfast, and we got the autographs, and they had their little books, and they would run up, and they would get them signed. Uh, we went to leave, <clears throat> and we were at this one hotel on the property, and so we had to hop on the monorail to ride back. Now, my boys thought that was, like, really cool to get to ride on the monorail, Um, It was like a free theme park for the day. You know, we just rode the monorail everywhere we could go. But we got in line for the monorail, and uh, my boys struck up a conversation uh, with the guy that was working the gate. Pretty, you know, boring job, if you ask me. His job was to open the gate and let people on the monorail. His name was John. Now, before I knew it, my boys had opened up their autograph book and asked John to sign their book. And so if you look at their book, on the page right after Mickey Mouse is John the Monorail Worker. <laughs> and it was so funny because they just took so much interest in this guy who seemed like just an average Joe. He just had the average job that no one really cared to have. He was the guy that, were, that made sure people didn't get out of line, made sure people didn't try to cross the yellow line. But it was funny, when we got done, uh, we, they got his autograph, we hopped on the... Um, the monorail, he gave him a little sticker. And, uh, and my boys looked at me and he said, Dad, we made him famous today. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think sometimes we need to make people famous. And what I mean by that is, is we need to care. And instead of making excuses, we need to make a difference for Jesus' sake. Instead of rushing by, we need to slow down for the sake of showing the compassion of our Lord and Savior. Instead of jumping to conclusions, we need to pause to consider circumstances and show the love of Jesus. And why do we do that? Because we want to walk like Jesus. second thing we see here in the story is that we need to see people and not problems. Verse 2, And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, Now, we don't really know how the disciples knew that this guy was blind. We have no clue, or, or I mean, excuse me, how, how they knew he was blind from birth. We don't know that. Maybe, maybe one of the disciples knew him. Maybe they had seen the guy there a long time. Uh, maybe the guy told them that, you know, was begging and said, I've been blind from birth. Um, and it seems like an odd question. It seems like a really inconsiderate question. I mean, you're standing by a guy who's blind, and you say, hey, Jesus, did this guy sin, or was it his parents? <laughs> But in in truth, what the disciples were doing here is instead of seeing a person, they were seeing a philosophical debate. They didn't care so much about this guy. They just wanted to know who was responsible. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, that was the belief of the day that if you had a disability or a sickness of some sort, that it was always because of your sin or someone else's sin. The disciples were not saying anything that was out of the ordinary for that time. And many would hold that this guy, that most likely his parents must have sinned, and that their sin had caused his blindness. It was a, it was a very, you know, very literal idea coming from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9, where it says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation to those of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And so basically what they were saying is that if the father sinned or the mother sinned, that the the result of that sin would be passed down to the child and the child would suffer. The child would be hurt because of that sin. And so they wanted to know, was it mom or dad that did something? They also thought, well, maybe it was the, the, the child. Maybe the, the man, this, this young man, had done something to cause himself to be blind. That was another idea that, that if, you were, if that was your case, if you had a disability, it was because you had sinned in some particular way. And some even held that a baby in the womb could sin and cause their own harm. I don't know how that would work. I don't know if it's a kick to the kidney in mom's belly or something like that. But, they, but there were some rabbis that really did believe that a person could be born blind because they had sinned in the womb. It's crazy. And some of the pagans of that day would believe that, that that man's blindness was caused because he had sinned in a previous life. But Jesus had this to say in verse 3. He said, It says, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so where the disciples saw a philosophical debate, a problem of sorts, Jesus saw a person. Jesus saw a man created in God's image. A man who was marred not because of his own sin, but because of the curse of sin on all of mankind. A man whose body was broken. Now, now, can someone's problems like that be caused because of someone else's sin? Absolutely, that could be. I mean, you think about... If someone went out and got drunk and then drove and then they had an accident and they were, they were disabled because of it, that would be because of their own actions. Could someone suffer like, you know, something because of someone else's sin? Absolutely. Same kind of thing. Somebody, a drunk driver went out and they hit you or me and I was injured because of it. I'm suffering because of their sin. But is it always the case? No. And Jesus makes that clear here that it's not always the case. And so Jesus saw a man who was blind, but a man who God wanted to demonstrate his glory through. And that's exactly how we ought to see others. Not as problems to be debated, but as people through whom the works of God might be displayed. I mean, what if we saw people through that lens? I mean, you think about this... um, I see okay without my glasses on, but I don't see great. And so my glasses, these lenses in my glasses, correct my vision so that I can see properly. Let's imagine that you could go to to the optometrist and you could order a pair of Jesus glasses. And let's imagine that you could put on those glasses and in doing so you could see people the way Jesus saw them, the way Jesus sees them even today. You think you would see problems? I think you'd see opportunities. Instead of just seeing opinions that that you don't like and, and things you disagree with, and instead of seeing rough exteriors, I think you'd be able to see hearts, and you'd be able to see souls who were hurting. Instead of seeing problem people, you would see opportunities to show God's love. Over and over again in the Gospels, we see this in the life of Jesus. We see that he would see these crowds, he would see these people, and he would feel compassion for them. And so what if we looked at people that same way? What if we saw people with the eyes of Jesus? Instead of seeing problems, what if we saw people through whom God wanted to work? I know what someone's probably thinking. Someone's probably thinking, that, that's a lot of work, Jeff. Sometimes people are hard. Sometimes it takes a long time, and I just don't have the patience to deal with these people. Sometimes they, you know, I try to share the gospel with them, and they didn't accept it. And so I just walked away and gave up. I just don't have the time for it. I found an illustration this week that I thought fits pretty well. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever seen, you probably have seen these things, these big, giant Chinese bamboo plants, Chinese bamboo trees. I think I may have a picture up there. You know, these things are massive, right? Um, You know, um, when you plant these things, uh, it actually takes five years before that seed ever sprouts. Five years. But once it does sprout, it'll grow 90 feet in five weeks. 90 feet. And so think about it like this. Let's imagine that you decided to go out and plant a Chinese bamboo tree in your backyard or in your front yard. Let's say your front yard. And let's say that you you dug up a little spot and you planted some seeds for this thing and you started watering. A few days go by, you see nothing. You keep watering, you keep planting, you keep working it, you keep putting fertilizer down, keep watching it, and still nothing's happening. The neighbors start to notice you out there watering this bare spot in your yard and they're thinking, What is he doing? (laughs) What is that fool doing out there watering that dirt again? Ain't nothing going to come up. year goes by, two years go by, they start to look through w- the window. Oh, there goes old Jeff again. He's watering that dirt spot again. Can't he figure out he needs to do something with that? You'd wait, and you'd wait. There'd probably be times in that five years you'd think, oh, oh, this thing is never going to grow. This thing's never going to come up. This, it's just riding a smile a walkway. But, but you stuck with it. And what's the matter that you kept that watering, you kept watering, and you kept watering, and, water and, water and, water and then suddenly... Boom, comes through the ground. And in five weeks, 90 feet, you'd look like a genius. (laughs) You'd step back and say, I told you so. All you people thought I was crazy. You know, people can be a lot like that sometimes. You know, there are some people that you you share the gospel with, you you share Christ's love with them, and and they immediately respond, you know? And, And they immediately take it, and they take off with it within there are those people that take a long time because their hearts are hard. Because it takes a long time for that seed to take root and begin to grow. And there's going to be times when you think, I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to walk away from this person. There, there's no use in this. I've tried for a month. I've tried for a year. I've tried for years. I'm just going to quit praying for them because it seems like it's pointless. Don't give up. Because you never know when it's going to break through the ground and they're going to begin to grow toward Jesus. Don't give up the work. Instead, we need to do what Jesus does next, and that is get to work. Verse 4. Jesus said this. He said, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Work. Sometimes we don't like that word, do we? Oh, i got to go to work again today. Oh, i got to go clock in do my thing again today. I mean, we like vacation and leisure, don't we? Or at least if it's going to be work, we like for it to be something that we enjoy. Uh, we don't like just doing repetitive tasks that don't seem to have a purpose. But Jesus called us to a specific work here. He called us to work the works of him who sent me. While well, it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. I see a few things about work here, about this specific work. Of reaching people here, I think we need to understand. First of all, it's a universal command. Jesus said, we. He switches here. He's talking about himself. He's talking about this guy. And and then in a minute, he's going to say, I am the light of the world. But he says here, we must work the works of him. We. So it's not something that's just a calling for those who have a specific set of skills. Not something for those who are just the really spiritual ones, the ones who feel like they have a particular spiritual gift, or, or maybe have more free time than others. Jesus said, we, we, all of us. Also, it's command. He said, we must work the works. Not this is an option, not if you want to, if you feel like it. No, we must work the works. We have an obligation to do what Jesus has called us to do. And it's urgent, we find out here, because he says, that we must do so while it is day because night is coming when no one can work. What's he talking about here? I think he's talking about judgment. You know, there's going to come a day when we no longer can share the gospel with the lost because the lost is going to be carried away to judgment. And so we must do so while it's day because time is running out. You know, we don't know when Christ is going to return and judge the lost. We have no idea when that is But we do know that today we are closer than we were yesterday. And tomorrow we're going to be closer than we are today. And we do know that Jesus for sure is coming. You ever had one of those moments where you're you're in life, you're, you're going through something and you see something and it makes you remember, like realize just how fast time goes by? You know, you see a picture of your kids or your grandkids when they were babies or whatnot and you're just like, oh, that feels like yesterday. And you get all sentimental And sometimes in those moments, you stop and you think, man, I wish I had done something differently. I wish I had done things differently. Um, You know, I I know for certain that when when I do have those moments, I never stop and say, man, I wish I had spent more time watching TV. Man, I wish I had spent more time checking Facebook. Man, I wish I had just sat around more. Man, I wish I had just taken more naps. But I know for certain that I'll look back on my life and say, man, I wish I had used more time for Jesus. I had spent more time doing His work. Jesus said, get to work. Now is the time. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, Paul writes, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so let's not be fools. Let's use God's time Wisely, Let's get to work for him. And then lastly, we need to understand your role. Look in verse 5. Jesus said, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. And so Jesus looks at his disciples. He reminds them of what he said in John chapter 8, verse 12. Remember, I am the light of the world. And then he literally turns the lights on for this guy. Makes a little mud, puts it on his eyes, sends him off to the pool, which means sent. Siloam, and he comes back seeing as long as I am in, the light, in this world, I am the light of the world. Well, you might be thinking to yourself, well, Jesus isn't physically here anymore, so I guess the light got turned out. Well, you'd be wrong. You know, Jesus calls himself the light here, but over in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, this is what he says. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. We live in a dark, sin-filled world. But as long as there are spirit-filled believers in this world, the lights aren't out. Because Jesus is living through us. And he's called us to carry his light into the darkness. Verse 16 of that same chapter, Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Think back to that scene I described earlier of, of Jesus being in the festival tabernacles. You know, those big torches there. It, well, if Jesus is the light, we are the torchbearers. We are the ones tasked with taking his light to the darkness. You know the feeling of uh, that you get when you're in a big room, and um, and things get dark. You ever been in like Walmart or something like that, and the lights go out? It gets really dark, doesn't it? it kind of can be a little disorienting if you're in a really big place. Kind of be hard to see. You don't know where to go. You begin to stumble on things. You don't know which way is is which way is which. How do you get out of this place? You can start to wonder, when when are the lights going to come back on? But you know, there's a funny thing. When you're in the middle of darkness, it doesn't take a whole lot of light to show you which way to go. Even the smallest little amount can be enough to give you direction. Reagan, you can turn the lights back on. We might think of ourselves as being insignificant, as being small is being not much. But God has called us to be the light and to let that light shine. That Because He is the light, we are the light. And we can help cure people. We, can't, we may not be able to take away physical blindness, but we can point ones, those to the one who can remove their spiritual blindness. Would you pray with me? Father God, you are the light. You sent Jesus to be the light. And now you've called us to be the light. That though, you, that though Jesus, you physically left this earth, you sent your spirit to dwell within us so that we could fulfill that task. Jesus, I pray that we as believers would be the light. Jesus, as we look at this example of how you saw this man, here you were in a rush to get away from people who wanted to kill you, and yet you saw this man who needed to be healed and you stopped and you healed him. I pray that we would see that being the light is as simple as slowing down and seeing needs and caring for the hurting. It's not complicated. It doesn't require any kind of training. It doesn't require special classes. It just requires willing hearts. A willingness to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to speak and to care as the Spirit leads us. So Father, I pray that we as believers would take that command very seriously to be the light in the middle of darkness. Father, I pray that if there be an unbeliever in this room who is not a Christian who's never given their heart and life to Jesus Christ and never received the forgiveness of their sins I pray that today would be that day that they would come to the light that they would come out of the darkness into your glorious light I pray as we come to this time of invitation if there be someone here who's lost today that they would come down this aisle so they can find out how they can have eternal life how they can have a relationship with Jesus who is the only way to eternal life in heaven. And Father, I pray for those who are believers. God, if there's decisions that need to be made, recommitments, decisions to join our church, whatever it might be, God, I pray that today would be that day that they would make those decisions public. And it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Just stand as we sing.